New Year, all those wonderful things. I hope you guys have been enjoying the holiday season with your families this past week and this week to come. <clears throat> Man, it feels like this Christmas season's been going fast, doesn't it? Is it just me? I'm starting to understand why people decorate before Thanksgiving now. I used to, I'm not saying it's okay, I'm just saying, I'm starting to understand why they do that. You know, even though it's been going so quickly, I've been able to uh, get in some of uh, my favorite family traditions with my uh, family, you know, even though uh, you can hardly see them through the fog. Christmas Eve, we like to go and look at Christmas lights. Uh, we get some hot chocolate. I don't know why. I don't like it. The girls don't like it, but it's tradition, darn it. <laughs> so that's what we're doing, okay? Uh, we drive around, look at some of the Christmas lights um, around town. You know, every year um, we, we go, when we're in town, we go over to my parents' house um, to eat. My mom makes the same dish every year. It's this um, corn stuff. I don't, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mom, it looks like mud, but it's delicious, okay? So, you know, we look forward to that um, every year. How many of you guys have uh, family, your favorite family traditions that you do around the holidays? Anybody? We got a few of them. Can we, we got, we're just family here this morning. Can we hear some of them? Who, who wants to share some of their favorite family traditions that they do? Nothing big. All right, here we go. Miss Janine, Josh will come over with a mic so everybody can hear you. She's like, oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> Pass. Christmas story, yes, of course, yeah, absolutely, Christmas Eve, we like to sit down, we read Luke 2 uh, with our girls, yeah, anybody else who's got something? They don't have to be as spiritual as Janine's. <laughs> anyway, there we got one back there, Miss Bonnie. Christmas breakfast, oh man, I love, I love, I love breakfast and I love Christmas, <laughs> put them together, I'll be a part of Bonnie's family. Anybody else, one more? One more. Who's got one? Oh, we got one up here, Josh. Miss Bobby. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a wonderful life. Oh, that's, yeah. I've, I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. We usually watch, like, Polar Express or something. Pick some popcorn. Okay, that's good. Cool. Yeah, you know what? We all have those family traditions that uh, we love to do. Hopefully, we, you know, we pass those down onto our kids. Uh, you know, maybe we, maybe you guys do something every Christmas or New Year's that's been passed down to you from generations before. You know, one of the things we do for New Year's uh, is we eat pork and sauerkraut. Uh, well, I eat, I eat pork, okay? Sauerkraut is gross. Uh, but that's just something that, like, that we've always done. We've passed it down from generation to generation, um, and, it's, and it's a pretty cool thing because when you, when you pass down those family values and, and those tradition-type things, what it does is it begins to shape the identity of our kids, right? We pass things down from generation to generation, and it shapes the identity of the generations to come. It gives them an understanding of, of who they are or, or where they come from. And so what we're going to look at today uh, has the same potential to affect generations to come. But it's much more important than, you know, great-grandma's mud corn or whatever recipe, right? We're going to see today the spiritual obligation that each generation has to the next. The potential to shape our children's identity in Christ. We're going to take a look at a passage today that actually shows us the potential impact to the third and fourth generations. Now, we've heard that phrase before, haven't we? To the third and fourth generations. Only when we come across it in Scripture, it's not talking about the heartwarming traditions that we pass on to our kids. No, it's something much more serious than that. It's talking about our tendency for sin that we pass down to our children and even our grandchildren. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says this, And the Lord passed by before him and pro proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Listen, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Numbers 14.8, the Lord is long-suffering of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Now, this doesn't say that the children will be punished for their parents' sin, but 
There is a tendency that's passed down from generation to generation. The things that I struggle with today could potentially be passed down to my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. And, and who knows what's come down the line for me. And here's the thing. We don't have to try to pass those things down to the generations that come. It just happens unintentionally, right? It's by default. It just happens by default. Luckily, God gives us some instruction on what we should be passing down to our children. So I'll say things this morning like that, our children, okay? And when I talk about our children, our kids, the next generation, whether or not you have kids at home, whether or not you have kids at all, I want you to understand that that what we're talking about today applies to you as a member of the body of Christ, okay? We are a generation that has an obligation to the next generation, whether you have kids or not. There is something that we are commanded to pass down to those kids that are coming up behind us. And I say kids, I mean, obviously we've got young children here, we've got middle schoolers, we've got high school, anything that we would consider youth. Okay, so understand today when we talk about these things that whether you have children or not, this is, this is something that I believe that all of us today need to hear and we all need to apply. And so this instruction that God gives us we'll, fi- we'll find in, in Psalm 78. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 78, if you would. You can kind of keep your Bibles open there uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew in front of you. Uh, but open up to Psalm 78, and then you can just kind of keep it open for the rest of the morning. We'll be jumping around to some other passages, but those will be up on the screen. Okay? Now, if you look at the beginning there, it might be before verse 1, or it might be a little, uh, like a little title, a little header. Um, before that chapter, chapter starts, it says, The Maskil of Asaph. And Asaph is the author of, of this psalm, and it says the maskil. And what a maskil is, it's simply instruction. Okay? It just simply means instruction. So what we have here is the psalmist has given us instruction on raising the next generation. So we're going to read Psalm 78. We're just going to read verses 1 through 8. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Follow along. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the generation which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Before we get further into our message today, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, and um, we're thankful for our, our time together as a as a church family, and Lord, I just pray this morning as we get into your word that you would just open our eyes to the importance of what you've called us to pass down to the generations that are coming after us, Lord. We, we thank you for your word, that um, it gives us instruction, that it teaches us, Lord. So help us today as we learn that we would just apply what you're showing us to our own lives. Amen. All right, so what we're going to be looking at, there's, well, there's three technically four generations that are mentioned in this passage. So we're going to be taking a look at the characteristics of each generation that's mentioned in this passage, okay? And the first thing we're going to look at, the first one we're going to look at, is we're calling the previous generation. The previous generation. And the first thing that we're going to see is found in the first three verses, and it's their communication, okay? So the previous generation, their communication. Verses 1 through 3 again, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. So it's referring to our fathers. It's referring to the previous generation. In these first three verses, we see that the previous generation communicated some information to the next generation, right? The psalmist said that there's something that our fathers have told us. Well, what were those things? Well, what we see is that they're the law and the words of God. He says, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. So we see that they're 
they communicated something. They communicated the law and the words of God. And the way they did that was through, then, parables and dark sayings. And a parable is just a story with a hidden meaning, um, and a dark saying is really just a bit of ancient wisdom. Okay, We actually see it defined for us in Matthew 13, 34 through 35, where it's referring to this passage talking about Christ. And all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude, okay, so this is how he communicated to the multitude, in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And so there we have dark sayings defined for us. It's things that have been kept secret since the foundation of the world. It's ancient wisdom, all right, that they're communicating, that they've communicated the information they've passed on to the next generation. So the previous generation told the next generation about the Word of God. They communicated something, okay? So that's not bad, but it's not great either, okay? They communicated some information. The next thing we're going to see is their commandment, okay? So this is what they were commanded to do. Letter B, their commandment found in verse 5. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. All right, so they were commanded to make something known to their children. Well, what was it? What were they commanded to make known to their children? Well, it was the testimony and the law of the Lord. Okay, it says they established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel. So those two things, they were commanded to then communicate to their children, to the next generation. And we saw a few weeks back when Jeff was preaching on the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of the Testimonies is another way it's referred to, that really the testimony of God is His Word, right? It's His Word. Same with the law of the Lord. His law is His Word. And so the previous generation was commanded to pass on God's Word to the next generation, to make it known, okay? So remember, first we saw they communicated something, but they were commanded to make something known. And we see this spelled out for us in Deuteronomy 6. 20 through 25. Verse 20 says, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, okay, so they're supposed to be living in a way that their kids are supposed to ask them what they're doing. So when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord of our, our God hath commanded you? So the testimony and the law of the Lord. Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in, to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive, as it is this day. And it shall be our righteousness, if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God, as he hath commanded us. Okay, so again, they're supposed to live in such a way that their children would ask them about God's Word. The Word of God was supposed to flow from their life. It's supposed to naturally be a part of their lifestyle. It wasn't supposed to be just some information that they communicated to their kids. It was supposed to be a part of their daily lives in such a way that God's Word was made known to their children. Another way to say it is to make God's Word manifest okay to make it plain to make it clearly visible it was to be made known can you guys feel the difference between someone telling you about god's word and someone making god's word known to you right so they were commanded to make god's word known um but they only communicated some information so they communicated some information to their kids but they were commanded to make known the word of god to the next generation. All right, so we saw what they communicated. We saw what they were commanded to do, but we also see how they were criticized. Okay, we see their condemnation. Letter C, their condemnation. Verse 8. It says, It might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Okay, so... They communicated something. They were commanded to do something, to make it known, to live it out in front of their kids, but they failed. They failed, and here we see that they were stubborn and rebellious. Their heart was not set aright. Their spirit was not 
steadfast. And here's the thing. Moses knew it, right? They were stubborn and rebellious, and Moses knew it. Look at Deuteronomy 31, verse 27. Moses is saying, For I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. Behold, while I am yet alive with you this day, ye have been rebellious against the Lord, and how much more after my death. He said, look, you're bad enough while I'm with you, okay? How bad is it going to get once I'm gone? Right? And this is why when we drop our kids off with babysitters, we always ask how they behaved, right? Because I know how they behaved with me in the car on the way over, right? They weren't doing so good. I can't imagine it's going to get better once I'm gone, right? Without the authority in their life. And so we always, so how were, how were they, you know? Oh, they were fine. No, no, really. How were they, right? We just assume it's going to get worse. And, and Moses assumed the same thing about the nation of Israel, and he was right. They were rebellious while they had Moses with them, and he's like, how much, how much worse is it going to get once I'm gone? All right? Their heart was not set aright, and their spirit was not steadfast with God. We see this later in the same chapter. Psalm 78, verse 37 says, For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. All right, their heart was not right with God. They were not steadfast in obedience. They were not steadfast in following after God. They were not steadfast in his covenant. So they communicated some information to their kids. They were commanded to make known the word of God to the next generation, but they failed to obey the law and follow God themselves. All right, that's the previous generation. We have to remember that this is the generation that walked through the wilderness with Moses, okay? The stories that we've been learning in our number study that Jeff's been going through, we'll have more after the new year. This is that same generation, okay, that, uh, that walked through the wilderness with Moses, that saw all these incredible things that God had done for them. Look, uh, look in Psalm 78 again, verse 10. It says, They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. They forgot all the incredible things that God had done for them. God then goes on to list the incredible things this generation saw him do for them. Remember that he delivered them from bondage. He brought plagues upon Pharaoh. He parted the Red Sea for them to walk across on dry land, and then he brought it down to drown their enemies. He led them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He, saw them, or he gave them drink, uh, uh, drink of water from a rock. He opened the doors of heaven and rained down manna for food. He provided meat for them. Over and over and over again, the nation of Israel complained and rebelled against God. Over and over and over again, God forgives them, and they still fail to obey His Word. So what we learn from the previous generation is that it is possible to see God work in your life and yet fail to follow Him. So we have to be careful. Because when you, when you grow up in church like I did, seeing God work sometimes becomes common. And you forget just what an incredible God we serve. And that's a dangerous place to get. Because you can see God work in your life over and over and over again and still fail to follow Him. And, and this, this generation was condemned for what they did. They were criticized by God, even though they saw all of these incredible things that he had done, yet they still failed to follow him. We have to be careful. We don't end up like that previous generation. So that's the previous generation, Roman number one. Roman numeral two is now we're going to look at our generation. Okay, our generation. This is where we are today. Okay? So we have a generation behind us. We have a generation before us that we're responsible for, and so this gets practical for us here, okay? So I'm calling it our generation. I understand that none of us were, you know, in the wilderness or anything or, you know, maybe from the nation of Israel, at least I don't think so, okay? But this is, this is where we fit into this story, okay? This is where we fit in. And so the first thing that we're going to see is our direction, letter A, our direction. So again, starting in the first three verses of, of Psalm 78, it says, O my people, uh, give ear to my, O my people to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and again, our fathers have told us. So the previous generation 
They may have failed to follow God, but they managed to pass something on to the next generation. They did tell us about the law and the words of God, but they failed to live it out in front of us. So what we learn here is that we must receive our direction from the previous generation. And here's the thing, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter how well the previous generation did, it doesn't matter how bad the previous generation did, we need to take their example and set our direction from there. Because either they served as a godly example of what we should do, or they served as an ungodly example of what not to do, right? right? We, we want our kids to learn from our mistakes, don't we? And we need to be able to learn from the mistakes of the previous generation. In 1 Corinthians um, chapter 10, so God lists all these ways that the previous generation messed up, okay? And then in verse 11, he says, Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, okay? So look, all these things, all these ways that the previous generation messed up is to serve as an example for you, for you to do better, Amen. okay? So even if our, the previous generation did a poor job, at, uh, at following God, we need to learn from what they did, and we need to set our direction from there. Okay? God, God's telling us to learn from our father's mistake. Some of us have been given a great example to follow, okay? and I know I'm one of them. Okay? I'm very blessed to, to grow up in the family that I have grown up in. And my goal is simply not to interrupt the spiritual legacy that has been passed down to me. Other, others of us have had no example at all. This might be, you might be the first one in your family to come to church, to surrender your life to Christ. And you know what, that's an incredible thing, because what you have done is you have set up generations to come for success, regardless of how the previous generation has failed. So whatever the case may be, we must take the example that was given to us and set our direction for obedience from there. All right, so we get our direction from the previous generation. And then letter B, we see our determination our determination. We see this in verse 4, where it says, We will not hide them. Talking about the law and the words of God. We will not hide them from their children. Okay, so how do we not hide these things? How do we not hide the word of God from the next generation? Well, I would define to hide as intentionally, uh, to intentionally conceal or obstruct the view of. Okay? So let me ask you this. What is it in your life that's obstructing the view of God's word for your children? Right? Again, we, we have to be careful because we can know what God said. We can know his words. We can communicate that information to our kids, but our lives should be lived in such a way that God's word is made known, that it's made manifest through the way we live. So we have to be careful that we're not doing anything, whether it's intentionally uh, because we're ashamed or unintentionally because we're lazy, that we're blocking the view, that we're hiding God's word from our kids. So how do we not hide these things? Well, I would argue that the opposite of hide is not seek. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually to teach. To teach, to systematically reveal information or instruction. Okay, so to hide is to intentionally conceal or obstruct the view of, to teach is to systematically reveal information or instruction. And we see this over and over again when God's talking uh, to the nation of Israel and what they're supposed to teach their kids. Deuteronomy 4.10, Especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord, thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to, to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. And these words, which I have commanded thee this day, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Now, there is this debate between quality time and quantity time with our kids, right? Or maybe, you know, quality time only comes from quantity time or whatever, here's what I know is that God doesn't make a distinction between the two. He simply commands us to make the most of all the time we have with our kids. He tells us to teach them diligently, 
And then he gives us some practical ways to do it. In those verses we just saw, he says, when you sit in your house, okay? So I would suggest when you sit down for mealtime, you should make it a point to have regular mealtime with your family, with your kids, and during that time is a great time to teach your kids about the Word of God when you're not fighting with them to try to get them to eat their meal, okay? <laughs> so that's how it applied to us today. When you walk us by the way, I would say while you're driving in the car, all right? Well, well during drive time, they're not going anywhere, okay? You got them stuck. You can, you can turn the radio off and talk to them, or you can turn on some worship music, let them see you worship God. When thou liest down, okay, bedtime, end of the day. Okay, you're, starting, you're finally starting to get everybody to calm down. Everyone's maybe a little more prone to, to listen to what you have to say. Get in there, get in real intimate with your kids. And that's a great time to pray with them, to pray for them, uh, just to share your love for them and God's love for them. And then he says, when thou risest up, or the start of the day, right? That's, that's just such an incredible thing. Before you send your kids off to school, man, make sure that they know who they are in Christ because they're going to hear a lot of junk at school, all right? If they, if they, go, to, um, if they're, if they go out to public school, they're going to hear a lot of stuff. And so it's so important that at the beginning of the day, you take time to communicate God's word to them. This is so practical because our kids are constantly bombarded with messages from the world that goes against God and his word. And that is why we must be diligent to consistently affirm to our kids who God is, what he has done, and what his word says. And one more time for good measure, Deuteronomy eleven eighteen through 19. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes, and ye shall teach them his words, your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Okay, so we need to teach our kids the word of God. I have it this way in your notes. We must determine to teach the next generation the word of God. All right, so we're supposed to um, set our direction from the previous generation, and then we must determine to teach the next generation the word of God. Now, teaching your family the Bible is, pri or, or, yeah, teaching your kids the Bible is primarily the family's responsibility, but this is something that uh, the church endeavors to do with you, okay? And as the kids pastor, I can't preach this message without taking a moment to talk about the importance of children's ministry. Okay, so I know I say this all, this all the time, but I believe that children's ministry is the most important ministry there is, and I'll fight anybody that says otherwise, Okay? <laughs> So while there's no clear teaching on children's ministry in Scripture, Jesus does set a precedent when ministering to children. All right, in Matthew 10, 13 through 16, Jesus is teaching to a, a bunch of adults when some children approach him. Uh, verse 13, and they brought young children to him, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked them that brought them. But when Jesus saw this, listen, he was much displeased, okay, you do not want to displease the Son of God. I'm just saying. And said unto them, Suffer the little children, and allow the little children to come unto me. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. Listen, do you know what, what, do you know what displeases the Lord? It's when people hinder children from coming to him. Here's, here's another one, a little bit more serious. Matthew 18, 5 through 6. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, listen, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Guys, when the Prince of Peace straight up threatens to murder you mafia style... <laughs> you know that you are dealing with something serious, something incredibly important to God, okay? If Jesus said it's better for you to be sleeping with the fishes than to keep a child from coming to Christ, then we're talking about something that is extremely important, okay? You guys thought I laid a guilt trip on you for signing up, all right, for children's ministry. Listen, if that's not enough, I want you to understand something about the next generation, 64% of all salvations in the U.S. take place before the age of 18. 43% of all salvations take place before the age of 13, okay? Almost half of all salvations in the United States take place before they get out of middle school. 
A child's spiritual foundation begins to be laid as early as age two. A child's spiritual foundation is mostly set in place by age nine. And what a child believes at the age of 13 is what they will most likely believe as an adult. Do you know what that means? If we are late on reaching the next generation, we are too late. Do you understand how important children's ministry is? How important it is to God? How important it is for our children's sake? All these stats were taken from the Barner Research Group, if you want to look those up. But listen, I, I, I can't, we can't talk about this today and not talk about how important children's ministry is. And again, it's the family's responsibility, but we're here to help. Okay, and it's something that, that we are passionate about. And I know several of you in here serve in our children's ministry. You lead in our children's ministry. I can't tell you how thankful I am for you. And uh, man, if the church doesn't understand how blessed we are, then, then they're missing out as well. So let me just say thank you to everyone that takes time to invest in our kids every week. It's incredibly important. Okay, so we must determine to teach the next generation the word of God. So that's our determination. Now let's look at our demonstration. Our demonstration. Let her see our demonstration. And again, we see this in verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. Okay, so we will not hide the word of God from the next generation, but there's something that we are to show to the next generation. There's something that we are to set an example in. And so what are those things that, uh, that we're supposed to set an example in, that we're to demonstrate, and how do we do that? Okay, so how do we show these things to the next generation? Well, the first thing listed there in verse 4 is the praises of the Lord. It's the praises of the Lord. So I have it this way in your notes. Let the next generation hear you praise the Lord. Amen. We'll get some guidance from Isaiah 63. He says, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Listen, we need to let the next generation hear you praise the Lord through your prayers, through your worship. Mention it every time you have something to be thankful for. Isaiah says, according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us. Okay? If you would stop and think about it, that's a lot. All right? That's a lot. Our house, these cold winters, our heat. I am thankful for air conditioning. Our cars, our food, our clothes, our Christmas gifts. One of our family traditions, and, uh, you know, hopefully it'll get better over time, but before we open presents Christmas morning, we take time and we just thank God. We just pray as a family. We thank God for the ways that he's blessed us. Okay? So far, you know, we make it quick because the kids don't last long, all right? But it's just, we have to take a moment and we have to praise God for all that he has bestowed upon us. Let your kids hear you singing praises while you're doing the dishes or driving in the car. Find ways to praise him for his blessings, for his goodness, for his mercies, for his loving kindness. Do not be quiet about these things. We must let the next generation hear us praise the Lord. The second thing that's listed here is his strength. His strength. And the way we do this is to tell the next generation the story of your salvation. The story of your salvation. Over and over again, when we see the nation of Israel talking about the strength of the Lord, it's in reference to their deliverance from Egypt. In Exodus 13, Moses is giving the nation of Israel the instructions for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this is the feast that they're to keep to remember their deliverance from bondage. In verse 13, ver, uh, or sorry, chapter 13, verse 14, it says, And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come. Again, th- we see this phrase a lot. When your kid asks you why you're doing these things. So again, we're to be living our lives in a way that our kids ask us, why do we do these things? Don't hide it from them. Show it to them. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? Talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread that thou shalt say unto him, By strength, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. If you've been around FBC for any amount of time, um, especially if you've been going through our ministry tools and training classes, uh, you know that the Old Testament nation of Israel is a picture of the New Testament believer. 
And their deliverance from slavery in Egypt pictures um, our salvation from the bondage of sin. All right? So when God is saying that you need to show his strength to the next generation, we do that by sharing the story of our salvation, by sharing our testimony to the next generation. And then the third thing that he lists here is his wonderful works that he hath done. So we saw the praises of the Lord. We're supposed to show the praises of the Lord. We saw that we're supposed to show them his strength. And then we're supposed to show them his wonderful works that he hath done. And the way we do that is to allow the next generation to see the process of your spiritual growth. Allow the next generation to see the process of your spiritual growth. So what are those wonderful works that he hath done? With some simple cross-referencing, we see that God makes his wonderful works to be remembered. We see this in Psalm 111, verse 4. It says, And he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. So how does he do that? How does he make his wonderful works to be remembered? Well, from there we jump over to Joshua and we see where God commanded the nation of Israel to build a memorial out of 12 stones. And it would serve as a way to remember what he did for them. So what exactly did he do for him? Well, in verse 6 and 7 we see, um, talking about the 12 stones, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, there we go, we see it again, when your children ask you, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean ye by these stones? Then you shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And again, Israel being a picture of the New Testament believer, believer, and Israel crossing the Jordan River out of the wilderness into the promised land, it is not a picture of going from this earth into heaven. It's a picture of stepping out of, um, we'll call it spiritual infancy, to spiritual maturity. Okay, it's, it's about spiritual growth. It's about spiritual maturity. So they no longer are fed daily with manna once they enter the promised land. They have to learn to feed themselves. The Lord no longer redirects their path to avoid battles like he did early on in the wilderness. They must now fight their own enemies. Okay, so this is a picture of spiritual growth, of spiritual maturity. So let your kids see this process in your own life. Let them see you reading God's word. Let them hear you in prayer. When life is hard and direction is uncertain, they should see you consult God's word and cry out to him for help. Okay? These are the spiritual disciplines in your life that help you to grow in your walk with Him. Let your kids see those. Let your kids see those. All right? I can remember if I was up early enough, my dad went to work early, but I can remember seeing him at our dining room table reading his Bible. I can remember seeing my mom sitting out on the porch reading her Bible. Okay? It was visible to me. They showed me that, look, this just doesn't happen on its own. You don't just follow God without any intentionality. Okay? So let your kids see that process of spiritual growth in your life. So we must determine to teach the next generation the Word of God, and here we must demonstrate for the next generation our walk with God. All right, we have to demonstrate those things for them. While we saw with the previous generation that it is possible to see God work in your life and still fail to follow Him, what we see with this generation is that it is possible to have a poor example and still faithfully follow God. So regardless of what kind of example the previous generation left for you, you have an obligation to the next generation. The failure, their failure, does not excuse you from being faithful. Today, we have a generation of adults that point to their past to find fault in the previous generation so that they can be relieved of their responsibility to honor God with their lives. But the failure of the previous generation does not excuse you from faithfulness. It does not excuse you from obedience. And you know who else won't be excused if the previous generation leaves a poor example for them? Our children. The next generation. So, let's make sure we do our best to set them up for success. Because God willing, in 20 years, our children are going to stand where we stand today. With a generation behind them and a generation before them. And they will have the same responsibility to the next generation with the example that we leave them to guide them. That's what's at stake. And so that leads us to Roman numeral three. 
the generations to come. The generations to come. And our responsibility to the next generation is to prepare them, to prepare a couple things in their life. Our responsibility to the next generation is to prepare their declaration. Their declaration. We see this in verse 6. That the generation to come might know them. Okay, so again, they need to know the words and works of God. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Okay, so now we're getting into the third and fourth generation type stuff here. So they need to know the word of God so that they can declare it, declare it to the next generation. So we need to prepare them for that. We need to make sure that the word of God is made known unto them. Our generation must make the words and works of God known to the third generation so that they can declare them to the fourth generation. You see, instead of creating a cycle of sin that gets passed down from generation to generation like we saw at the beginning of the message, we have the opportunity to pass along a cycle of obedience for generations to come. Can I share a little story with you? All right, thanks. Seventy years ago, all right. The year was 1949. A 16-year-old girl named Phyllis attended this church. <clears throat> Man, I knew I was going to cry. I expected it to be earlier in the message. <clears throat> it wasn't in this location then. The building of First Baptist Church was located downtown. It was on the corner of um, Second and Fair. She invited her eight-year-old cousin to church. She took him that Sunday on the back of her bike. That little boy went to church every Sunday for the next two years. <clears throat> when he finally walked the aisle and surrendered his life to Christ. Eventually, eventually his younger brother started coming and got saved. His mom started attending. Brought his little, little sister with her. They both eventually got saved. <clears throat> After one service, the pastor told them to take their time getting home. Pastor Turner went to their house, sat down with their family's father, and he led them to the Lord, led them to the Lord right there at the kitchen table. That man was my grandpa. And that boy was my dad. And all because of the faithfulness of one 16-year-old girl. A cycle of faithfulness has been passed down to me, the third generation, and my children on the other side of that wall, the fourth generation. All because of the faithfulness of the previous generation. You see, that is the potential that we all have to prepare the third and fourth generation if we will do as it says in Psalm 145. One generation shall praise thy works to another, shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. You see, we are responsible, responsible to prepare what the next generation will declare to the generations to come. Excuse me. <clears throat> so our responsibility to the next generation is to prepare their declaration, letter A, and then letter B is to prepare their destination. Is to prepare their destination. So where's the next generation headed? Where will they end up? Well, that's mostly up to us. At this moment, we have the greatest influence in the lives of the next generation to set their destination. However, we're not the only ones that are trying to shape the spiritual direction of the next generation. We have an enemy fighting for the, destina the destination of our children. I have a quote here. It'll be up on the screen if you can't read it and you just listen. But this is from George Barna in his book, Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. Simply put, if we want to win a war, you must control the battlefront. In the complexity of the world these days, we sometimes lose sight of the fact that life is ultimately a spiritual battle and that each of us is a spiritual being who must declare aside in the war and then fight to the end for what we believe is truth. 
In that process, we must identify the boundaries of the battlefront before we can take command of it. Where is the battlefront today? Is it to be found in the fight for the rights of the unborn or the call to outlaw homosexual behavior? Does it lie within the struggle to get adults to spend more than two hours per week at church or, hope, or the hope of getting people to read their Bible every day? Will it be found at the heart of the culture wars, which pit biblical morality uh, against the garbage embedded in a lot of movies, television, and music to which we are exposed? Is the line in the sand drawn to separate those who selfishly work to accumulate resources for personal pleasure from those who seek to distribute resources more equitably? No. I believe the battlefront is found in the minds, the hearts, and the souls of our children. So where do we want them to end up? Where do we want them to end up? Well, if we are faithful to make known God's word to them, God gives us a glimpse in verses 7 and 8. It says that they might set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. You see, we must make these things known to the next generation so that they might, number one, set their hope in God. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. And he compares them to a tree. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. You see, when your hope is set in God, you can weather any storm. Number two, not forget the works of God. Deuteronomy 7, 18 and 19. Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shalt well remember that the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto Egypt the great temptations which thine eyes saw, and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the stretched out arm whereby the Lord thy God uh, brought thee out. So shall the Lord thy God do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. When you remember the works of God, you can face any enemy. Number three, keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 5.29, Oh, that there were such an heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Jump up to 1 John 3. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. You see, when we keep his commandments, God says that it will be well with you and that he will dwell with you. What a way to prepare our children for the world to come. Right? Because they, if they believe in God's word, if they're living faithfully to what God has commanded them to do, they will be opposed. They will be attacked. And so they must set their hope in God they must remember the works of God, and they must keep His commandments. And then the fourth thing is a warning. Not be as their fathers. You see Psalm 106, 7 and 8 says, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. They forgot what God had done for them. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. 2 Kings 17, 14. Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. You see, we don't want them to end up like the previous generation mentioned here in Psalm 78, who forgets the works of God and who don't believe in God. Because we saw that they're a stubborn and rebellious generation. You understand, when you fail to keep his commandments, you become stubborn and rebellious. These build on each other. We saw that there are a generation whose heart uh, was not set aright. When you forget the works of God, your heart is not set aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. You see, when your hope is not set in God, your spirit is not steadfast with God. We have to understand the future of our children and the state of our church is at stake here. Take a moment. Think of the people who are leaders in your world today those who influence your life through government, business, community organizations, the church, the media. 
Do you realize that each one of those individuals was once a child whose potential was identified, shaped, and released by their previous generation? They were equipped to impact the world by those who saw promise in them and who were willing to sacrifice personal resources to assure their success. Now, think about the children who will, who will emerge as future leaders of our world. They may receive a basic education and even receive some special attention for their gifts and abilities, but who will promote within them the single most important set of skills they will need to succeed according to God's standards? Who will cast their metal into the mold of godly living? Who will pour the footings of their spiritual foundation? Can we afford to let the spiritual direction of the generations to come be shaped by default? If we fail to pass these things on to the generations to come, they will be swallowed up by a world that despises God. They will be raised by a culture that basks in the rebellion of God's word. They will be sucked in by a society that would rather see Christ back on the cross than in our schools and on our streets. So my question is for you, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to let it happen? One of the things I love about our church is that we've always invested in young people. We as a church, um, we put our money where our mouth is. But my desire is today that we will only dig our heels in deeper and hold the rope tighter for the generations to come. Too much is at stake. We must not forget the words and works of God for our children's sake, for our church's sake, and for Christ's sake. My question for you, individually, as an individual sitting in the pew today, my question for you is what are you personally doing to fulfill your obligation to the next generation? And then my prayer for us all is that we would all have the desire found in Psalm 71. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Let's pray. Lord, that's my prayer today. I pray that we would all that we would all make that prayer our own. Lord, that we would not allow the next generation to slip away. That we would not fail to, to make your word known to them. Lord, but we would live our lives in such a way that it would be obvious of who you are. Of what you have done for us. What you can do for them. And what your word says. So Lord, don't let us slip into raising the next generation by default, by allowing our culture to have a say in who they are. But God, that we would make your word the cornerstone of their identity. They would be built upon who they are in you. So that when the time comes and when they're opposed by this world and when they're tempted in the flesh, Lord, they would be anchored in their identity in you. They would be anchored in your word and that they will change the world in which we live. You know, you might be here today un